This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Good morning, agents. Welcome to The Briefing Room here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the Showtime series Homeland. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my executive co-director, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm sad, Andrew. I'm really, really sad. Do you have your cry face on? I do have my cry face on. I got my lip trembling. I, oh, uh, man. I got the blushed cheeks. The eyes are bulging out of my skull. <laughs> well, I have some good news for you, Charlie. After two weeks of having these episodes being released really late and off schedule, we're finally back on schedule. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> the, the holidays really screwed up my editing schedule for the for Film Geek Radio, but uh, we're finally caught up. So this episode on the Homeland finale will hopefully be out two or three days after it airs, as opposed to nearly a full week. So, yay! Woohoo! <laughs> Much like the season of Homeland, we're finishing strong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, today we're going to be discussing episode 12 of season 3 of Homeland. The episode is titled The Star. It was written by Alex Gonza and Meredith Steam, and it was directed by Leslie Linka Gladder. This is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't seen this episode of the show, you should go away, catch up on Homeland, and then come back. As always, you can email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com. We also have a voicemail line that you can use to call and leave us feedback. We'd love to get your thoughts on Homeland and how you think Season 3 turned out. Just call 336-793-2509 and let us know what you think. Again, that's 336-793-2509. And uh, who knows, we might even play your feedback on the air on our next episode. Uh, We are going to do one more episode after this. Uh, We're talking about the season finale today. But we're, we're going to release one more episode of The Briefing Room that's just going to kind of be a season wrap-up episode where we look back on the season uh, as a whole, and I'm hoping to have a guest or two join us for that. So if you call in or you email and, and you let us know what you think of Season 3, uh, we might be able to address that on the air, and that'll be a lot of fun. But uh, let's go ahead and talk Homeland. Uh, Charlie, why don't you remind our listeners what happened on this episode in case somehow they saw it and forgot. <laughs> Which would be inconceivable, uh, <laughs> to quote Wallace Shawn from The Princess Bride. But uh, yeah, this is the official synopsis from uh, Showtime.com. Security forces close in on Carrie and Brody. As Saul plans a last-ditch rescue operation, Brody struggles to find redemption. And I would play a clip, but unfortunately it doesn't look like Showtime.com has put any clips from this episode up on their website yet for some reason. (laughs) Maybe they want to avoid spoiling people? I don't know. Yeah, when you think about it, it's a... Hard not to spoil this episode in a clip. (laughs) Yeah. So let's just go ahead and and start talking about it. Charlie, what are your overall thoughts on the season three finale of Homeland? I thought this was a really strong episode. Possibly, I don't know how many times I've said this. Uh, If anyone's listening to this in order, uh, you could probably play a drinking game where I say, this is the best episode of the season, and you'll probably be hammered. (laughs) It's like every episode from episode eight onwards. Yeah. Or something. (laughs) But hey, that's that's a good thing. I mean, it's it's great that the show keeps one-upping itself in terms of uh, the latter episodes of the season. I thought this was a really strong episode. I thought it was a much different finale than the finales we got in seasons one and two. The season one finale, which was brilliant, was intense, and it dealt with the attempted assassination of the vice president, where Brody has the explosive uh, suicidal vest on. And I think that is probably the strongest uh, season finale of the show so far, but season two uh, had a really good finale as well even though it did get a little over the top it was very fast-paced and uh very shocking but at the same time it did stretch credibility and here i think we have possibly the most mature uh restrained character-driven season finale of the show so far and i liked the fact that it was very low-key i was very surprised at how 
low-key it was for a majority of the episode and the fact that it was all about the characters because I feel like for a while it's been all about the mission. The show's been very plot-driven, which has been very exciting, but I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see that most of the season finale was made up of very strong character moments. And it was it emotionally re- resonated with me on a very strong level, and um, I'm very sad to see Brody go, even though I predicted it a couple episodes back. He will live on in our hearts, Charlie. He will. I agree with you. This was a very character-focused season finale, which I really like. It seemed to bring all of the characters and many of the themes that the show has dealt with from the very beginning just to a really satisfying conclusion. It almost feels like a series finale. I was about to say that, too. I mean, they wrap everything up. There's almost no loose end here. We don't know. And I was talking to some friends who watched that last night. They're like, where can this show go from here? And I'm like, but isn't that exciting? Like, the fact that it could end here and everything will be fine, but the fact that it has potential to go in a completely new direction really excites me. Right, and that's the interesting thing, Charlie, at least if you've been paying attention to the critical conversation about Homeland over the past few years. After the seasons one and then season two, a lot of critics were kind of like, well, where's the show going to go from here? You know, Mm -hmm. how is it going to develop in an organic way after you have Brody in a bunker at the end of season one almost blowing up the vice president? How how, how do you, where do you go from there? Mm -hmm. You know, I like how the show seems to have finally found a way to wrap everything up in a nice, neat, satisfying, compelling way. And now, because we know there will be a season four and probably a season five, it feels like the show, as you said, it it could go anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's essentially going to reboot itself. And that excites me because I'm interested to see Homeland take some of these themes that it's been dealing with over the past three seasons and explore them in new ways mm-hmm. and, and get away from the status quo for a bit and just spice up the events. Because I do think if they had kept Brody around for season four, they probably could have done some more interesting things with him. But to a certain extent, it probably would have felt redundant. I, I agree with you. I think it would have felt very redundant at this point because they basically recycled things for this season. And while it felt very fresh and I feel like there were more layers to subplots in this season that involved Brody that were very similar to seasons one and two, I did think that they paid off because there were different layers and there were different areas that they could explore in terms of uh, what is the right thing to do. But at this point, I feel like the fact that they were able to pull that off three times and still make it compelling, I think, was pretty amazing. The fact that it didn't feel redundant by season three, because I feel like season three for a lot of shows is kind of when it hits a lull. I, I felt the same way about Dexter. I felt like by season three, you know, it, and then it completely recovered in season four. And then unfortunately, you know how the show went from there. I feel like season three can be kind of uh, a sandpit for like a lot of good shows. And I was worried that it was going to be kind of a dead end during the first half of the season. But the fact that they were able to reconstruct a plot with Brody that we've seen done before, it was kind of like what they did with him in season two, where they used him as an asset to the CIA. But the fact that they were able to pull it off twice and explore themes that we've dealt with uh, this character in the first three seasons and have it still feel visceral and exciting and very thought-provoking, the fact that they were able to pull that off alone, I think it's amazing. And I think that the writers knew that there wasn't much else they could do with him. Right. I think it's interesting you brought up Dexter, Charlie, because structurally, I feel like that's a very different show. And and even though, yeah, it went downhill in the later seasons i don't think it going downhill was due to it feeling repetitive or due to the structure in in the sense that every season of dexter tended to follow a similar structure you've you've got your big bad you've got dexter meeting someone that helps him start to learn something new about himself and he's killing people in the meantime and and each season of dexter ideally, I think, would repeat that structure, but use it to explore new aspects of his character. I think that's a structure you can repeat pretty often without it necessarily feeling dull. Mm -hmm. I think they could have used that just as the template for each season, and it it could have worked pretty well. I'm I'm still sad that it didn't. (laughs) But but, I don't think we're ever going to get over that. (laughs) (laughs) But but a show like Homeland. I'm not sure 
you could follow the same structure of, oh, Brody, is he good or bad? Where were his loyalties? Everyone's betraying everybody. I, I'm not sure you could follow those same beats mm-hmm. ad nauseum. And it kind of did follow the same beats that it did in season two, as we talked about last episode, to a certain extent. Well, see, they made it work, though, because mm-hmm. it felt, again, like Dexter ultimately could have been overall. It felt like repeating certain tropes in a way that could add new layers to how you view characters and, and new layers to the themes and the ideas where, okay, we've got Brody as a mole in the U.S. Now we're going to have him as uh, a secret agent in the Middle East, um, and we're going to re- kind of repeat these things. But it's it's all to show different aspects of his character and to ultimately reveal that no matter where he goes, he's still a pawn, he's still broken, he, he's still being used, and he can't escape. Mm-hmm. I, I think they did that really effectively over the course of Season 3. You can't do that again in Season 4 without season three kind of feeling like, well, what was the point of that? Exactly. Yeah. I expected this to be a big action-packed explosive episode based on the first two season finales. Cause the first season it's got the sniper attack and then it's got the whole possibility of Brody blowing up the vice president. And then, you know, the Langley bombing in the second season, you know, just blew everything out of proportion. And here I kept expecting there to be like some intense gunfight or some terrorist attack or something to pop out of the blue. And I like how, you know, the only character that dies is Brody and it's not even in a big dramatic like, I mean, yeah, it's dramatic, but it's not like it could have been filmed in such a way that could have been milking cheap melodrama in a, and in the way that they built up to it, the way they executed it and the way they showed the aftermath of it, I found to be really credible and I found to be very compelling. I mean, it was a little dramatic with Carrie jumping up on the fence. That was my one complaint. Yeah. (laughs) Especially after he said, please don't, uh, you know, don't be there. Please don't be there. So like, you know, and she does say, I I have to be there, but you don't have to jump on the fence, Carrie. He didn't want to see you to see him when he was like going through heroin withdrawal and he was like fetal on the bed. I don't think he wants you to see him. Uh, hanging by the neck until dead. But at the same time, I buy that because Carrie's a very impulsive, very erratic person. I, I, I almost laughed out loud, honestly. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> okay, well, here's the thing, Charlie. She jumps up onto the fence and starts going, Brody, Brody. And then they cut to Brody's face as he's, like, choking. And I was trying to figure out, is he giving her that expression because he's choking or just because he's, like, emotionally freaking out by the fact that she is jumping up on the fence and ruining his peaceful death? <laughs> well, I, that's what I thought is, oh, you're kind of ruining his peaceful death. Like, you know, he knows you're going to be there. You made that clear. He knows what type of person you are. You don't have to be, like, the groupie in the crowd going, Brody. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, like, just ignore the fact that he's choking. His face just like, gets all bloated and he, you just you're just like... Wow, if he wasn't choking, it seems like he'd look really upset and pissed off right now about what you're doing, Carrie. <laughs> Part of me expected Carrie at one point to yell, Brody, I love you, and have everyone turn around like at once staring at her and being like, get her. <laughs> That's the thing. I was kind of like, why is nobody like tackling her? Well, she did get knocked off, but that guy could really care less. <laughs> he was just like, eh, get off the fence. But, uh, you know, like at the, at the same time, it was filmed in a way where it could have been like exploitative where it's just like his final breath and like you know his eyes pop out of his skull or something like it actually I thought that it cut away at a really good moment and it doesn't show you like this is his dead face you know like a lot of shows where or movies where people are hung it's like they have that one like where their tongue sticks out kind of face it's like the far less appealing and amusing o face yeah exactly like the you know and and, you know when people i always laugh when people die in action movies too where they like lean back and take their last breath as if like that like like you know they were putting (laughs) so much effort into keeping composure but really when you die i'm pretty sure that it'll just happen like gradually Gradually won't just like lash back like that. I thought that for the most part, apart from Carrie jumping on the fence, I will give you that. Uh, I thought that scene was really well done. And uh, one other thing was the woman spitting in his face, Abu Nazir's wife, or was that the wife of the politician? I believe that was 
Nasreen. Okay. Abu Nasir's wife, I think. Or maybe it was Akbari's widow and, and his kids. Yeah, I couldn't tell because, you know, they're all in shawls, so it's hard to right. tell. I hope that isn't racist. It's a little bit racist, but we'll, we'll, I'll forgive you. I'm, I'm sorry. Granted, it's not my place to forgive you as a white guy, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just saying it. No, I'm, I'll stop talking. <laughs> I'm going to bury myself a deeper hole here. That's okay. I was just visiting with a, with a good friend of mine who's, who's Asian, and she told me the other day, well, you know, all white people look alike to me to a, a certain extent. So everyone's a little bit racist in that regard, perhaps. Yeah, just like the Avenue Q song tells us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well uh, we, we've already talked a little bit about that specific death scene. Let's talk about some more specifics. The key scene in this episode that really blew me away was that final scene with Brody and Carrie in the safe house where he is just like, he, he's at the end of the line. And you can tell he like barely wants to go home. He's just kind of like, yeah. where do we go from here? And I love how he explicitly calls out a lot of criticism that people have had of the show in these past few episodes and something that we brought up as well and discussed a little bit uh, over the past couple episodes, which is that idea of him being redeemed mm-hmm. and that whole idea of I'm doing this as a form of redemption. And you and I talked about how it was kind of iffy, but that ultimately we were willing to go along with that idea. Mm -hmm. It made it feel good enough in the moment for it to work. And I love how in this episode, he's basically just like, redemption, who the the hell am I kidding? (laughs) I don't even know why I did this anymore, you know? Yeah. And I love how in this episode, a lot of these themes that have been lying under the surface of Homeland, they actually become text. And he actually comes out and says... How can you redeem yourself by repaying murder with more murder? Yeah. How is that a form of redemption? I did like that conversation quite a bit, yeah, where she's like, he was a bad man. He led children out in chains in the minefields. and like, But I, but I like how it doesn't really go on from there. It's not like he's like, murder's still murder, Carrie. He get, we, they understand that we know that murdering anybody, I mean, Carrie's never killed anybody, has she? So that, you know, she doesn't know what right. that feels like. And, and also she says, you know, but you're a Marine, which I feel like is the excuse that so many people in the United States States. Mm-hmm. When we look at wars and the United States foreign policy. It's kind of like, well, yeah, they're soldiers. That's what they do. It's okay for it's okay for them to kill. Mm-hmm. You're an American. You're a Marine. You're you're standing up for the American way. You got to do what you got to do. And I like how Brody just kind of calls that out, and it's like, really, <laughs> just like throwing this this identifier at me and saying, well, you're a Marine. You you think that automatically changes? the morality of it mm-hmm. somehow. And I just thought that that was a really, really great conversation that hints at a lot of the, I guess you could call them almost pacifistic mm-hmm. undertones that get kind of run through Homeland. As much as it's a show that loves its espionage and its explosions, it is in many ways a show just kind of about how, man, war is messed up. Yeah. And it's really not helping anybody. At the same time, the show does kind of have its cake and eat it, too, in some episodes this season. I mean, the more I think about that scene where I know this is a little off topic, but the more I think about that scene and halfway through the season where Javadi murders his wife and daughter-in-law with a broken bottle and shooting him in the face, like, it did kind of revel in that sort of brutal violence at times. So, right. But I do like the fact that it's at least trying to call it out. And, you know, like, it's not like that violence is supposed to be enjoyable in the first place. But I do feel like the show sometimes teeters that edge of going a little too over the top in terms of its violence. But it didn't this episode. I think if you're creating a work of art and when you're depicting violence, I think that, yes, you have to recognize violence is thrilling to watch to a certain extent. It is yes. cathartic. It is enjoyable. You can either present your violence in a way that critiques that and comments on that, as certain films and TV shows have done in the TV realm. I'm thinking specifically of uh, uh, Spartacus and Hannibal Mm -hmm. uh, recently. Or you can just acknowledge, yeah, violence can be a form of escapist entertainment. I want my show to be entertaining, so I'm going to present violence in an entertaining way. But I'm also going to 
try to draw attention to larger concerns about violence and war and, and, and argue that maybe this needs to stop. Yeah, I do think that something, and I know you're going to disagree with me on this, one of the things that I loved in its depiction of uh, violence as a form of thrilling entertainment, or, or not entertainment, Jesus, violence as a form as a thrilling uh, thing to watch, but is really like this is messed up and war is messed up, is I thought that the raid sequence at the end of Zero Dark Thirty did a really good job of examining that because it's very anticlimactic and it's very, it's played in real time, there's no music, Music, there's just they're just shooting whoever happens to walk in front of them and there's no there's no real sense of catharsis <laughs> See, I disagree with you there I thought that was the most thrilling part of the whole film oh I'm, I'm saying it's thrilling I'm just saying that like I'm saying it's very thrilling I'm just saying that like they examine the violence from a very detached very realistic portrayal where they're not shooting Osama bin Laden in slow motion or anything they shot, right. shot him through a door they didn't know it was him they don't show his face and then they just keep going and they then by the end of it it's kind of anticlimactic and I mean that in a good way yeah, it's it's detached, but it's still very intense and very thrilling. It's not like something like Funny Games. Oh my god. Where the director's just kind of like, you're thrilled by this? You should not be thrilled by this. I'm gonna make, I'm going to torture you and make you feel awful for being thrilled by this. Yeah, not only am I gonna show you no, none of the violence on screen, I'm gonna give you horrible, disgusting thoughts as to what is be not being shown on screen. And right. I'm gonna completely uh, destroy the whole structure of the home invasion thrillers and uh, punish you for wanting that. Right, and, and and don't get me wrong, I, I love Funny Games. I do too. My, it's one of my favorite horror films ever. Absolutely terrifying. I don't think that that's the only way to depict violence or to critique institutional violence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you can, to a certain extent, have your cake and eat it too. You can acknowledge that viewing violence is entertaining and, and cathartic and, and fun to a large degree, and, and you can appeal to that while also critiquing other forms of violence. In this case the institutional violence and the war on terror. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what Homeland has been doing really, really well from the very beginning. Yeah. I just think that this season, it kind of took a few missteps with that, but I guess we'll get more into that on our next episode. I kind of got us off topic here. Um, right. I, what, going back to the um, scene with Carrie and Brody, um, I liked that scene a lot. I liked the scenes that I, I liked the moments we're mentioning. I do have to say that the one part that took me out of it was towards the end where Carrie says, I believe I was put on this earth to cross paths with you. And I know that sounds crazy. And he says, no, it doesn't sound crazy at all. It sounds like the only sane thing that's keeping me here. And the one thing I wish they didn't say is that it sounds sane to them. Is that like, I was like, I can understand you wanting to believe that as a, as a form of like giving you purpose in life, but it doesn't sound sane to me. Like it just sounds like I'm going to, I'm going to defend this Charlie. Okay. (laughs) When that line was stated first, I thought, oh, that's kind of corny. Yeah. But then I also thought I can buy it. And the romance in Homeland, that the romance aspect of, of the Carrie Brody relationship, that's something that a lot of critics have had issues with. Like, oh no, they shouldn't be playing this up as this timeless love story and this great romance. Mm-hmm. I don't really feel like Homeland has been playing up the romance. I don't feel like it's been making that the central focal point of the show. I feel like it did in the end of season two. Even then, I feel like even though that that started to become more of a top priority for their characters, like they were in a place where they could actually explore that mm-hmm. romance, I I never felt like that was the main point of the show, and that was what the show was ultimately going to hinge on. Mm-hmm. So I never really bought that critique. And what ultimately makes it work for me is that I can believe that both Carrie and Brody have been so broken down by the war on terror and by the system and by, and by everything they've been through that they recognize in each other another broken person. And mm-hmm. that is why they have that connection. So while it might not always make sense logically, like, really, Carrie, you're still going to go be with Brody after all this? He might be a terrorist and you're, and you're going to go sleep with him and fall in love with him. Really, Carrie? <laughs> Even in season one, you're thinking in the back of your head, why are you doing this? Oh, yeah. I remember, I can still remember the way I reacted when they first hooked up, and I was like, no way. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like really? <laughs> and, but see, then as the show went on, and especially in Q&A, mm-hmm. when they kind of have that psychological breakthrough and realize how similar they both are in many ways and how they both kind of need each other, that's when I really started to understand, okay, 
in their world, they've just been so beaten down that this one person, as messed up as that other person is, is like the one beacon of light that they can count on and that they can hold on to. So when she says, this is the only thing keeping me sane, or, or this is, I feel like maybe I was put on Earth to cross paths with you, I could totally buy that they would believe that. I could totally buy that they would want to believe that. I'm not sure they would buy that. Like, if they phrased it better, if they phrased it, wrote the lines better, I feel like it could have been executed better. I think they actually do believe it. I think they, they, they and that's a moment of reflection where Brody's been re- thinking about everything he's been through. They ultimately just come to the conclusion, if this has any purpose at all, if there's any meaning to it, if there's anything we can take out of this giant mess, it's each other. Mm-hmm. So I was willing to buy that. Um, and, and speaking of, of that and everything that he's been through, I loved how he said, I was born in the desert. Oh, I love that too, actually. Because as soon as he said that, I was thinking in the back of my head, yeah, and you're probably going to die in it too. <laughs> like, well, yeah, it, it's, it's, for, it's foreshadowing his death, but also it's the double meaning. He was born in the desert Mm-hmm. literally as a child but then he was also so reborn. reborn for Mabu Nazir right due to Abu Nazir when he was tortured mm-hmm. and and it's it's that process of being reborn into some deformed distorted version of himself with with no real identity and and just completely uncertain as to who he is mm-hmm. that i thought was just really really poignant he was born in the desert and now he's going to die in the desert and and that this journey has finally come to an end. Yeah, I did like that a lot too. And he looked like he was just dead inside, sitting in the passenger seat of Carrie's car when he said that. Like you could just tell from the look in his eyes that he, he was looks just, like mm. he he looks almost like he did when he was addicted to drugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's just like so zoned out. Like ah, oh, this is just too much. <laughs> How great would that have been if Carrie would have been like? Brody, take that needle out of your arm. What are you doing? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you're right. This uh, you mentioned earlier. This episode feels kind of restrained. There aren't really a lot. There aren't any explosions or big gunfights. I liked it though because all the bombs that were being dropped were emotional bombs. Exactly, and th- for the most part, they worked. Right, and I like how they keep it restrained. There isn't some like big sex scene. And I was worried that there was gonna be once they got to the safe house, and there wasn't. Hey, we have a couple hours. I love you. You love me. We've we've just come out of this crazy situation. Brody, you might be here for a couple of days at the very least. Yeah, I'm horny. Are you horny? You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and again, it just <laughs> reminds me there was a big sex scene in Dexter near the end of its final season. Oh, don't make me think back on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, there was nothing like that in this episode. It felt very grounded. It felt very real to me yeah and i'm sure that damien lewis has had his socks off during all of the other previous sex scenes in uh, homeland too <laughs> there is one more thing i want to bring up charlie and I, I i don't want to touch on this too much i'm sure when we do our season wrap-up episode we'll have more things to discuss in terms of looking back at the season as a whole but uh that scene in the car that you that you mentioned when they're driving along I immediately thought of Dana and Leo. Oh, really? Yes. I've been trying to block them out that I guess I just didn't think about them. <laughs> I immediately thought, oh my goodness, they were trying to form a parallel there with, with Dana and Leo, where Dana and Leo, they felt like they had to escape for whatever reason, and they went on the run in, in, in the car. <laughs> Dana was driving just like Carrie is driving, and... <laughs> Leo was kind of just hang, hanging back, relaxing, looking out the window. Yeah, only only in the episode with Dana and Leo, they're like smoking pot and listening right. to really bad music and laughing and giggling. And here they're just both miserable and they're just sick of everything. Right, right. Um, so I thought that that was interesting that they, they did try to kind of call back to that. Just that idea of being in love, trying to go on the run and escape and can we make it out alive uh, in both cases, uh, okay, Dana found out that Leo may have killed someone, and that freaked her out, and that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. But with Carrie and Brody, Carrie knew that he had killed someone. That was the whole point of him being there. <laughs> so I guess what we really learned, Charlie, is that 
if you're going to be in a relationship with a murderer, honesty is important. That's really what we learned. Your relationship, your, your love can maybe survive a little longer if you just tell each other, hey, by the way, I, I killed someone. Uh, uh, this episode of Homeland was brought to you by the noun honesty. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be like a Sesame Street ending. Look, Leo, just pick up the cell phone, call her, and say, I killed him. Get me out of here. Relationship problem solved. <laughs> the one parallel that I saw, although I'm not even sure what to make of it, but I did notice that they did this, is when Brody's walking out of the building, Akhtari's building, in the beginning, there's a really great moment where the guards stop him, and you think that he's in trouble, and then they just turn, uh, they just take his visitor name tag off of his shirt, and then he keeps going, and he gets in the car, and it goes on from there. I noticed that uh, at the end, uh, when Saul is with Carrie as they're awarding all the stars, Carrie looks at the visitor name tag and goes, oh, that's awful. That's so wrong that they're making you wear this. And I couldn't tell what they were trying to say about that, but I was like, there has to be a reason. There has to be some sort of allegorical reasoning behind the visitor name tag that I can't think of right now. <laughs> that's right. I, I hadn't thought of that. But, but you know, that's just, I think you could argue that that's just one more example of how, whether you're in the Middle East or you're in the U.S., the intelligence game is largely the same. Yeah, that's, that's a good I, point. I'm not, I'm not meaning, I don't mean to quite equate the U.S. with Iran, but just in terms of the system of violence and intelligence gathering and espionage and how the, the main theme of Homeland seems, seems to be how these institutions built for, for national security just take people and chew them up and spit them out. I think that the show is trying to equate that wherever you are in the world, it's largely the same. I also want to mention that while I was watching this episode, I was thinking, you know, apart from Brody dying, it ended up being exactly what you predicted it would be like a few episodes ago, which is Saul's not in the CIA anymore. He's with Mira. Um, the mission was a success. The Middle East is going great. And apart from Carrie and Brody starting starting a new life, Carrie is starting a new life as the uh, chief of staff in Inst Istanbul. So, yeah, the station chief. Yeah, station chief of Istanbul. She might be giving the baby up to dad. We don't know yet. That was the other line that I hated was dad going, you will not give up this baby like your mother left you. I was like, take out that line. It would have been such a better scene. We'll see. The thing is, Charlie, the way this season ends, it's kind of brilliant because I, I doubt they've started writing season four yet, but they really can do anything because mm -hmm. nothing at the end of this episode seemed like it was set in stone. Mm -hmm. Yes, Saul has apparently left the CIA and seems to be happy with Mira. Their, their marriage seems to be be pretty solid mm -hmm. but he has that conversation with dardal at the diner where dardal's just kind of like you would come back in a heartbeat yeah like, like you know you would yeah. so just because i love mandy patinkin i don't know if i could handle it if the show wrote off mandy patinkin i bet he'll be gone for a few episodes and then he'll come like back in like episode four he did shave off his beard though i don't know if you saw that he shaved I off did. his beard in a recent interview and i was thinking oh andrew's probably sad I am. I'm very, very sad he doesn't have the beard anymore. I don't know. I mean, there's a part of me that's excited about the idea of Homeland Without Saul just because, as you mentioned, oh, the show can do anything now. But at the same time, I love Saul so much. I'm just like, don't leave, Saul. They could kill off Brody. They could kill off Carrie. They could kill off everybody. Don't kill off Saul. <laughs> don't do it. So, yeah, he could potentially get called back at any moment. Lockhart is now head of the CIA, and I guess I'm just assuming he'll still be head of the CIA. Uh, yeah. I mean, Dara Dahl does say something along the lines of, oh, it was all thanks to you, Saul, and uh, Lockhart will be, uh, you know, gorging himself in our uh, your victory for all of these years to come. So he's got he's on easy street at this point. Dara Dahl, that's that was another interesting thing I thought about this episode. We finally did see Dara Dahl pick a side. Mm hmm. And that's something that you and I had talked about, especially in the middle of the season. Which side is Daradal on? And he finally decided, you know what? Can decide with Lockhart on this one, Saul. But I do like how it's a little complex. He's not picking it right away. It's not like he was like, I was with Lockhart the whole time. You know, like it was it was something that right. he was driven to uh, be pressured to choose. And also, it's not like Saul didn't have any warning. Like Daradal had told him before then, this is the decision I would make. Mm -hmm. if I was in your position. Yeah. So I, I was able to buy that Dara Dahl could side with Lockhart, and he and Saul could still kind of be friends and go to the diner and 
mm-hmm. hang out and be a bunch of old schoolers, as the waitress calls them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that they'll jump forward in time? Like, I feel because Mad Men's done that in between seasons where it'll be like, it'll be two years later or something. And I was wondering, how, are they going to go right away into right after Carrie has the baby? Or will Carrie have the baby in season four? Or will it be five years later? Or will it be in a dystopian future where <laughs> like a ghost in the shell type of universe or something where or Blade Runner where like they're cyborgs or something? I don't know. That's a good question, and that's something I was thinking about after the episode as well. I feel like they left it open, again, to go either way. You know, like everything in the finale, we don't know, is Carrie going to go to Istanbul, or did Quinn's final words to her about how he regrets messing up everything with his kid, is that going to convince her to have the baby and focus on the baby, Mm -hmm. and maybe not take the position in Istanbul? You know, I could see it going either way. So, you know, the, the, one of the last moments of the episode is her getting called back up to Lockhart's office mm-hmm. at the memorial because apparently something has happened that needs her attention. So it could pick up right from there where we discover whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Or what I personally kind of want to see, Charlie, is I think it would be a great way for them to just kind of further acknowledge these first three seasons as their own separate story Mm -hmm. by jumping ahead a couple years i think that would be a good idea i think it'd be really cool if they just jump ahead four or five years carries in istanbul she does have the child with her and she's learned to balance all of that and like her sister said maybe it did ground her but then something happens Mm -hmm. that kicks off a new story for Carrie Matheson. Mm-hmm. What if it starts off where she and Quinn wake up in bed together? I still, I want them to do something with Quinn. And and that's kind of what excites me about the fact that the show could go anywhere now. I want to see more with the supporting characters. I want to see more with Quinn. I want to see more with Dardal and Farah. Yeah, Farah wasn't in this episode at all. And Quinn got completely pushed off to the sidelines for the past four episodes or so. Yeah, after they built up everything, like with Farah's family and her uncle that really didn't go anywhere that really didn't go anywhere yeah and same with quinn with the whole we think remember when we were like we think quinn's gonna die and then he was barely in any of the episodes at all well he also one of my favorite moments with quinn the entire season was when he said he wanted to quit Mm -hmm. and then that didn't go anywhere (laughs) yeah at the end of this episode it seems like he he doesn't say oh by the way carrie i'm i'm leaving the agency he seems Mm -hmm. like he's still there this is a very minor criticism, but have we ever seen Quinn or Carrie smoke before? Because I know we haven't seen Carrie smoke before, and I was like, well, that's no, we odd. Did. We did see her smoke earlier this season. We did? I think we did, yeah. I think we saw her smoke even though she knew she was pregnant, and but it was like early in the pregnancy, I think. Maybe I'm just getting that mixed up with, the, with Skylar smoking when she's pregnant and breaking bad, because I remember that. No, I think we have seen Carrie smoke, and probably... Quinn as well. Probably Quinn. I think that we've seen Quinn smoke once or twice. I just can't recall any time that Carrie's been smoking, but maybe I'll go back in time and correct myself here. Well, in season one, she was fond of her wine, but I do believe that in season three, they did have her smoke a couple times, or Mm -hmm. at least ask about a cigarette. But yeah, I I hope that they do more with the supporting characters in future seasons. Um, I'm I'm excited now about where the show could be headed. Um, and at the very least, Charlie, unlike Dexter, where <laughs> at the end of Dexter we were kind of like the show's so hit and miss. Do we recommend it to people? And if so, which seasons? Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like with Homeland, Homeland could really suck from season four onward and we'd still be able to tell people watch the first three seasons yeah because it at least has a legitimate sub ending of sorts because dexter is a show where after the best season of that show it ends on a total cliffhanger and that's what most shows do i was actually surprised that they were able to wrap up so many plot lines in this season finale because not only was that unlike the first two season finales but usually in a dramatic series you need those types of cliffhangers to get an audience to come back and I found it to be kind of ambitious that they were keen on wrapping everything up because I can't think of another season even Breaking Bad where it wraps most things up it usually ends on a single shot that's like oh my god I can't believe they did that how is that going to affect everything in the next season and I feel like they basically wrapped everything up here and it's kind of a risky move to take 
because now a lot of people are kind of thinking that was so much more like a series finale than a season finale. And what do I have to look forward to now? How can they do the show without Brody? Well, it's weird, though, because, Charlie, uh, I, I don't know if you watch the newsroom. I don't, unfortunately. But season two of the newsroom wrapped everything up in its finale like <laughs> so neatly it was just kind of like wait what <laughs> is, is this the end of the show <laughs> and that was a case where i almost feel like looking forward i don't know where the show is could be headed and and i'm not sure i'm looking forward to season three like in a positive way mm-hmm. it's like i don't know where the show could go in a kind of negative way yeah and for Homeland, I feel like they wrapped up most things, but again, they left the characters' fates so uncertain that I feel the opposite. Like, well, wow, this could be a total reboot for the show. We could go anywhere from here. Yeah, it's like they didn't shut the door. It's like they left the door like open, like crack. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's the key. They didn't shut the doors. They just. I, I don't know what the right analogy is. They, yeah. <laughs> they left it swinging open or something. They left it open a crack. They closed the door to one room and left the door open to mm-hmm. a hallway filled with other potentially interesting rooms. Yeah. That is really, really exciting. I don't know why. This is completely silly and a little, like, meandering, but have you ever seen that movie Birth with Nicole Kidman? I haven't. I've heard it's really good. Um, it's really good, um, but it's basically a movie about Nicole Kidman's husband dying, and then nine years later, this nine-year-old boy approaches him and says, I'm your dead husband reincarnated into this nine-year-old boy, and for some reason I was like, wouldn't that be interesting if Homeland Carrie has the baby? <laughs> and then he's like, and this nine-year-old's Brody. like, I'm Brody reincarnated. <laughs> Speaking of kids, one criticism I do have with this finale, and it's a criticism I mentioned, uh, I believe it was last episode or maybe two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. I feel like they wrapped up everything with Dana very well. They did not wrap up everything with the rest of the Brody family. Oh, did you not see the uh, the scene that was after the end credits? I did not. Was there a scene after the end credits? Yeah, Chris totally gets the rug from uh, the garage and starts praying like Brody does. Oh and, my uh, god! No, I'm. <laughs> I know. <laughs> hey, I fooled you for a little bit there. You fooled me for a second, then I was like, oh man. <laughs> but yeah, I do feel like it would have been nice if they had wrapped up everything with the Brody family a little bit better. And and again, it's the kind of thing where maybe they could find a way to have them make an appearance later on somehow. Like, hey, Carrie like Carrie goes up to the door and it's like a couple years later and it's like, oh by the way, here's your half sibling. <laughs> She just she just leaves her kid on their doorstep in a basket with a little card. <laughs> like, here's your bastard child. <laughs> here's Brody's final gift to you. <laughs> now I just pictured for some reason, like, Brick carries it like a river and she just puts him in a basket and, like, puts him down the river like Moses style. <laughs> I can't have this baby. Let, let the universe take it. <laughs> And she'll be singing the song that uh, was in the Prince of Egypt or something. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One thing I I did want to mention, the final shot of this episode... Was my favorite part of the episode, actually. Okay. It it was the star that she draws on the wall. Mm -hmm. I expected her to do something like that. And while there's a part of me that kind of thinks, ah, that's kind of corny. Again, it's the thing, the kind of thing that I was willing to go with. And it also works well as a kind of a period on this story that they've told for three seasons it worked for me corny probably but it conveyed you know a very emotional point without using dialogue it did use some very dramatic music but it's like that ending for the movie monster with charlie Theron. have you seen that film i have not they do the same thing which is they have like this piano and they have like it, this shoe uh, gu- guitar shoegazing in the background, and I don't know what it is about those songs and soundtracks for movies and television, but they just get to me. And I'm like, even though this is corny and it's completely manipulating me, if it's done well, it can really get to me. The same thing happened at the end of Zero Dark Thirty for me with the scene with Jessica Chastain in the helicopter. That score totally worked for me. Mm-hmm. If it's done well and the character is like, openly uh, conveying uh, an emotion towards a certain aspect of the story, 
with a soundtrack like that uh, in the soundtrack and the acting and everything else is done well, it, it can really get to me. Like, I'm a sucker for stuff like that at times, so. Right, and we should be sure to give credit where it's due. I think a lot of stuff in this episode in the hands of less talented people really could have come across as forced or as just really, really awkward and awful. But it was directed by Leslie Linka Gladder, who's directed, I think, four episodes of the show this season. Yeah, and she did Q&A. Yeah, she's the director of Q&A. She won the Golden Globe, I think, for that, or the Emmy. She won, she won an award for directing Q&A, <laughs> which is uh, one of the best episodes of Homeland, period. Yes. So she's a fantastic director. I thought she, she just really directed the hell out of this finale. And also, it was written by showrunner Alex Gonza and Meredith Steam, who was an executive producer and one of the head writers on the show for the first two seasons. She left for season three to go be a co-showrunner on The Bridge. Oh. On FX. But they brought her back. They've they've re-signed her for season four of Homeland as a writer and executive oh. producer. And so she, I believe she was just hired again like a month ago. And I guess she just or a couple months ago, and she, and she just came on and she was a co-writer on this episode. It kind of makes sense, though, because I feel like as much as I liked the season, for the first half, we were a bit, like, iffy on whether or not we thought it was going to be able to pull off. And, like, when it comes down to it, it is really good, but it did feel like they didn't really know what to do because they had an idea of what they wanted to do, and that was kill Brody off. They didn't. I didn't really get the sense that uh, a lot of the writers for the first few episodes knew what to put in uh, to build up to that or knew uh, how to build up to that in any way. I'm sure we'll talk about more about the season as a whole on the next episode and and kind of how it compares to the other two seasons of Homeland. But the last thing I want to say, getting back to that final shot, the reason I think it worked well, I mean, you mentioned the score Mm -hmm. and how that could have come across as kind of cheesy and forced, but here it works. The reason I think... This this final shot with the star in that final moment, I, I think it works overall because of the talent involved and because it, it's the star on the memorial. It's that whole idea of having a moment of silence, of reflecting on life and lives that have been lost and everything that has happened. And that is a main part of why I think this finale works so well just as the end of this one three season long story Mm -hmm. it it feels like everything's coming together like let's take this episode it's going to be more character focused we're going to just take some time and reflect on the themes that we've been exploring on where the characters have gone what we've learned about them and we're going to kind of look back at where we've gone and now we're just going to kind of sign off and and move on into into a, a different future and that's why I think that ending works really, really well. Also, the title of the episode, The Star, really great title because it not only refers to the star on the wall, stars are also religious symbols in Christianity mm-hmm. and Islam. And I th- kind of think it's referring to the star of the show, Damian Lewis. Damian Lewis, yeah. Reflecting on his journey over the past three seasons and how this has been his story to a large extent as much as, as Carrie's. And now this story is, is, is over. And I feel like it's also really, it hit me hard emotionally because what I found to be interesting thinking back on it is that uh, for the entire three seasons, the public eye of Brody is always a complete lie. Like, if he's perceived to be a good person, he's actually a terrorist. If he's uh, perceived to be a terrorist, he's actually doing uh, some good work most of the time. And we consistently battled with ourselves, even last episode, of whether or not Brody is a hero or, you know, is he a good or a bad person? Is he heroic or is he just trying to survive? And I feel like by the end of this episode, it's one of those things where the society still sees him as something that he's not. No, they no, they don't, though. I, I gotta tell you, Charlie, other than the, the conversation between Brody and Carrie in the safe house, my other, like, absolute favorite scene in this episode was her final confrontation with Shivati, where he just lays it out and is like, this is what you wanted. Now the whole world will see Brody as you see him. That's true. As this broken, conflicted guy who had all of these different loyalties and ultimately killed Akbari and and now has opened the door to a new future. That is true, but a lot of society doesn't see him that way still. I mean, including Lockhart. 
I mean, well, in America, they, they, in America, they, he's still considered to be the Langley Bomber, isn't he? I mean, I guess that's never really answered. I guess, but then uh, they, they, they also know that he killed Akbari. Well, they do, but they don't reveal that information because they don't really want to... I mean, wouldn't well, that expose okay, well, them? Okay, the guy was hanged publicly. How does... I'm sure the news has spread across yeah. the world. Brody killed Akbari and he was hanged. <laughs> How awful would that be if there was a scene after the end credits where it's just the Brody family, like, watching TV and they just come across that and they just end up crying? I don't know. Well, see, so so I have to believe that, okay, the American public might not know the details of what went down, but they know... Man, crazy stuff was going on with that Brody fella. <laughs> and yeah, he can't be officially recognized by the CIA because Lockhart's an asshole. And, and as Lockhart mentions, the fact that he was working for the CIA was, is classified. It's also complicated. It's confusing when we think about this right now because we don't know how much people really know. We only can assume. Well, see, and the thing is, Killing Akbari, it has opened the door to better relationship with Iran. The U.S. can't come out and be like oh yeah and by the way we 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 were totally aware of what brody was doing and we were behind that <laughs> yeah that would just that would ruin everything <laughs> so they, they you know they can't make it official but i feel like javadi is right when he says people now see what you see to mm-hmm. a large extent or at least much more so than they did before mm-hmm. and that i think is really kind of poignant like the only way for brody to truly be recognized as the broken, complicated, messy person that he was, was for him to do stuff that would ultimately get him killed. Yeah, that is true. Wonder how Chris took it. I don't know. <laughs> I can just see him like with a bowl of fruity pebbles or something like, oh, hey, Chris, how was your day? Fine. Dad got hanged and I ran. <laughs> like, you know, just like totally indifferent. Like, yeah, you know, it's dad. Chris takes out all of his emotions in karate. He probably just <laughs> went to class and broke a ton of boards. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do hope they bring back the Brody family, at least to give them some sort of a proper send-off. Yeah, as long as it's necessary and they don't have to do one of those episodes they did this season where they just gave Brody an entire episode and they kind of put everything else off to the side where it's just like, you know, I think we joked about this before, but it's just an episode with the Brody family and all their screwed up lives or something. They just need some sort of moment similar to Brody visiting Dana at the hotel. Some sort of moment that maybe it's sad and kind of depressing, but it just kind of brings things to a close with with those relationships. Even if it's just Carrie going to visit Jessica and Chris and being like, here's what I can tell you about your dad and who he really was, and I'm really sorry about this giant mess I want you to know the truth. It's not going to make you happy, but here you go. Let's just kind of close it out. Yeah. Just, they just need something just just kind of bring it to a close because I do feel like they did have Jessica and Chris and the Brody family there for a few episodes, and then they just vanished and there was no real send-off for them. I mean, to be fair, not a lot of people, myself included... Well, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I can't speak for everyone else. I didn't really care after a while. <laughs> I do care about giving them a proper send-off, but not with what was going on right now. So I'm willing to, like, say, yeah, if season four is a more comfortable time to give them a more proper, uh, well-executed send-off, then that's fine. I just didn't really care at this point right now because it just wasn't important. Also, did he, I, you know, watched all the way through the end credits and while it was going starring Damian Lewis and like all the people who played the Brody family. And I was thinking like, oh, these people might not even be on the show next year. Like I was thinking like how sad that was. Like the cast could be completely different. I believe I read that they are no longer regulars. Right. Yeah. They're no longer regular cast members for yeah. season four. They might still show up, but they're no longer signed as regulars. So they'll be guest stars or whatever. Yeah, I guess. Also, OK, I, I, we'll, we'll talk about this more in the next episode. No, Mike. Very no. little Mike this season. <laughs> Do you care? <laughs> I mean, I kind of I, I don't know. They I, I, again, he wasn't there and then they brought him up for an episode or two. And then again, they left him behind with the Brody family. I get it because he had to go be on the blacklist and deal with James Spader. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James Spader. Something, somebody has to do something about that man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts on the uh, season finale of Homeland before our big wrap-up episode? 
was a refreshing finale uh, for what I thought was going to end in, especially because you mentioned that the other episodes were fast paced and explosive and action packed. I thought that that was what we were going to get. And uh, it was it was uh, pleasantly surprised by how restrained everything was. And I thought for the most part, it worked out pretty well. I agree. It's so nice to, to be doing a podcast with you, Charlie, where the season ends and instead of just spending the final episode slamming it, yeah. we're just kind of like, oh, yeah, that was really good. We have very little to complain about. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure the last time we uh, – our last show, was, which we did, was Dexter, and I'm pretty sure that I said something along the lines of, this just makes me want to die when we were doing the season finale, and it's the exact <laughs> opposite here, where I'm like, oh, so much hope for this show. Like, I can't even fathom them how much they can how the potential they have to bring new light to these characters so yep don't screw it up showtime <laughs> don't screw it up <laughs> all right uh I, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode i do want to mention real quick before we before we end charlie we're gonna do a season wrap-up episode with a, a special guest or two that'll be our final episode of the briefing room for now maybe we'll come back from season for season four we, we don't know but for at least a year that'll be uh, the last episode of the briefing room charlie you and i might be doing another podcast about uh the hbo show true detective yeah hopefully fingers crossed i'm still trying to figure out if that's gonna fit in in my schedule it's been kind of crazy the past few months co-hosting three podcasts and <laughs> editing them so we'll see if, if, if we can make it work. If not, I will definitely be watching True Detective, and people can follow <laughs> me on Twitter to find out my thoughts on the show at the very least. We can, we can tweet all about the episodes and pretend we have a podcast, and then yes. I'll just uh, you know force my way on the cinema fix as many times as possible. <laughs> yes. Maybe we'll turn it into like a a video cast or something and do like a live video. <laughs> we'll, we'll vine our reviews of true detective. I mean, if we figure out a way to do like a video thing, maybe we could do like some live recordings and then the video will be saved and I won't have to edit anything. <laughs> that would uh, save me a lot of time. So I don't know. We'll, we'll figure something out. We, we'd like to do yeah. something on, on true detective. Uh, so be on the lookout, follow us on Twitter for updates uh, on, on, on whether or not that's going to happen, and if so, what form it's going to take. You can follow me on Twitter at Writer Andrew. Charlie, where can they follow you? Uh, CTNash91. That's CTNash91. Yeah, so you can follow, follow us both on Twitter for, for updates. Uh, and don't forget, we would still love to get your feedback for our season wrap up episode. Uh, so you can email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com or call us at 336-793-2509 and leave us a voicemail. Uh, let us know, what did you think of Season 3 of Homeland as a whole? What did you like? What did you dislike? How do you think it compares to previous seasons? Let us know, and we might address that uh, on our season wrap-up episode. Uh, and don't forget, as always, if you haven't subscribed and you decide to subscribe now at the last minute, you can subscribe to us through iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Uh, and speaking of Stitcher, the 2013 Stitcher Awards are now going on. So if you liked The Briefing Room, go to stitcher.promotw.com and nominate The Briefing Room for Best Pop Culture Podcast or any of the other shows on Film Geek Radio that you like. we got a lot of shows, and uh, we, we'd love to... We appreciate your support, and if you would like to nominate us for a Stitcher Award, that would, that would be really, really great. You can head on over to that website, and you can vote once a day up through December 24th. So be sure to go there and do that. You can also donate to us through the website if you've appreciated our thoughts on Homeland, uh, or you can visit our affiliates, uh, including Amazon, if you navigate to Amazon through our website, we will get a small percentage of whatever you purchase there. So buy your Christmas gifts through Amazon. Navigate there through Film Geek Radio, and, and that'll really, really help us out uh, a lot. We'd really appreciate it. Oh, I should tell my parents to do that while they Christmas shop. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be great. Because, we, we, I mean, we do this, does, this podcast does take time to produce, and it does take a little bit of money for hosting and all the website maintenance and everything. So any little thing you can do to help us out uh, so we can keep the shows free, we, we really, really appreciate it. If you've enjoyed The Briefing Room, just just think about maybe throwing a couple dollars our way. And don't forget, there are a lot of other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Charlie, you've already mentioned how people can find you on Twitter. Where can people find more of your work? 
Um, you can listen to me and Andrew discuss the eighth and final season of Dexter under the Avenging Angels section of FilmGeekRadio.com, and you can also find some of the articles that I've written for your magazine Emerson last year at Issue, that's I-S-S-U-U.com slash your mag Emerson. Uh, you can find some more of my film writing at MovieMezzanine.com. Uh, I've also been writing a little bit about TV over at Patheos.com on the blog Cinemeditations. As I mentioned earlier, you can follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. And I think that'll wrap it up for this really, really long show close. <laughs> so thank you, Harl, for staying with us. Uh, that'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And this podcast is the one sane thing in my life. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!